Welcome to the Uninformed Handball Hour, where, as always, I'm joined by Chris O'Reilly. Hello, Alex. And Brian Campion. Hello, Alex. And hello, Chris. And today we are going to be talking about the biggest, most exciting European handball club competition of them all. And that is the European League, of course. Yo! <laughs> the European League, the new Champions League. Who needs the best clubs when you have the second level clubs playing better than them? <laughs> true, true. I, that, was, that was quite a day, quite a couple of days in the last 16 of the European League. Difficult thing about it is you have, in that round, eight matches happening uh, over the course of one evening. And particularly, I think on Tuesday with the second leg, there were six matches on at once, which made choosing the games to watch fairly difficult. I mean, uh, I don't know which games did you actually decide to focus on in the end. I had to focus in on that little group that's going on where Nantes were playing Fixer Berlin and then simultaneously we had uh, Sporting versus Magdeburg and where Nantes came out on top against Fixer Berlin and Magdeburg squeezed, squeezed the result against Sporting, which we'll, I think, get into in a lot more detail to set up a quarterfinal match between Again, probably the two biggest teams, Nantes and Magdeburg, to get into the final four. But it was a really exciting round. Maybe it was the the fact that there was so much peril throughout the last 16 round. And it was, I thought it was good to have all the games at the same time. Well, not uh, all the games at the same time, but more to have so many games on in that round. It really kind of built the excitement a little bit more than the Champions League, where really we there was four games, a bit of excitement, but it felt a bit weird to have the best teams not playing in that playoff round, and um, especially the top four teams in the Champions League not playing in that round. But European League, we had all the best teams playing, all the best teams fighting it out, and. I think we should probably get into that ending of the sporting and Magdeburg game. Yeah, I think it was the right decision by the referees. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. No. Uh... Well, I think without going into too much detail, we were speaking about it to people who know better than us, actual referees, and not to name any names. We won't name any names, but you might be able to figure it out if you think about it. Hard yeah, if you, really, if you really think about it. <laughs> There was no two ways about it, in their opinion, they, that the, the referees made, like, ruined the end of that game. And it's a point that I think we've had in the past, and I think, in general, a good rule for referees is you don't want to be the one who decides the end of the game. You let the players decide the end of the game. But when you give two two-minute suspensions with just under two minutes left, you quite literally decided the game. Particularly decisions which could have been easily avoided. You know, in the case it was as so though sporting had a goal disallowed, which in itself was really hard to know, really where the 
whether it was not like how he could not give it a goal, it was whether a player was inside or not. It was Kiko Costa with the goal, which wasn't allowed. He didn't look like he complained too much. He kind of waved his hands in the air. He's like, mm. what is this? He gets a two-minute suspension. The coach then gets angry, his father. He gets a two-minute suspension. And then they're down to five men for the, the rest of the game. And I think, you know, when you do that, you've basically just decided, okay, you're, you're not going to win this game. I think yeah, the worst thing for me was I really felt like they had them on the ropes mm. big time. And I, like, it's not like they were just catching up. I really felt like they, if for the last five minutes, or last two minutes, sorry, I think they would have actually went on to win it. Um, that's just the, feel, the feeling with the mo- momentum in the game towards the end, especially. I felt they had to win in their sails. And they, I think they probably would have. They didn't even it. need to win it. They just needed a draw. Mm. And then they would have won on away goals. So, yeah, felt very harsh. Just just felt like an un- unfortunate way to finish it. I don't think anyone, including the Magdeburg players, would have wanted that to be the case. It also puts them in a weird situation. And that was visible as well. The good old, like, the trope of playing with two extra men in attack is also, like, never really a good thing. <laughs> they almost lost the ball and, uh, and would have lost the goal in the fast break then because, yeah, I think you just want to win at six on six or six on five, but mm-hmm. not six on four. That just added a weird, weird pressure as well to them. It's just such a pity that that monumental performance from Sporting over 120 minutes was decided by a couple of two minute kind of dodgy two minute suspensions uh, at the very end really impressive by sporting though really really impressive by the cost of family so yeah. starting with the coach of sporting lisbon and um, the father of martin who's 19 year old uh, left back and 17 year old sensation kiko costa was the real breakout star of this round 17 goals over two games against Magdeburg is pretty impressive. And just the array of shot making that we saw from underarm, jump shot, breakthrough, kind of had everything. Actually dumbfounding to think that a 17-year-old can do that against a bunch of grown men who are some of the best handball players in the world. I don't know if my memory is correct of this now, but I remember when Nadine Remily broke onto the scene I, I don't remember him doing things like that. I remember him kind of almost being on the tail end of good concepts and kind of finishing things off. And people are like, God, he's very, he's very settled for his age. I'm not sure if I remember that correctly now, but, but these two brothers, like the, some of the goals that they were, the audacity of some of the stuff that they were doing, like in flight, uh, from left back to right back, uh, in flight goals and just playing with the mo- like such confidence. And it's just, it's unbelievable to see two brothers at that age. And now they're just like, they're like the new uh, the new handball brothers. Move over, Nicola and uh, what's his other name? I mean, he's, <laughs> you've he's, he's you've already moved them over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really, really exciting. And everyone's going to be knocking on the door now for the next year or so, trying to get the, get the signatures. And uh, it's a really interesting position for them to be in. Also, because they're still... I mean, still the potential, right, for the Champions League next season with the club. So I reckon they'll stay there for a little bit longer. They won't be doing a, they won't be both moving to Hanover Bergdorf for Melsung and just yet. Yeah. I think their dad will be keeping yeah. keeping them on the wraps for a little while. Clearly, he's doing a very good job with them. I think they probably should stay there for a while as well because I mean they seem to have got a good thing going now. And why would you want to kind of interrupt that? Like I mean, let the, let yourself let the, if they're playing European League or Champions League next season, whatever it is. 
it's a perfect stage for them to develop. And clearly, the Portuguese handball domestically, I mean, we've spoken about it for a couple of years now, but it seems to be at the very top stronger than it's ever been. Mm. Porto, Benfica and Sporting, they really, all three clubs are at a very, very good level. And Benfica are actually in the quarterfinals of the European League as well, which is uh, fantastic to see. Yeah, Benfica overturned a, a tricky first leg against Phoenix Toulouse. Um, I think it was a four-goal deficit that they overturned yeah. in the second leg, thanks to 14 goals from Petr Djordic. He's really fired it up for Benfica, so um, pretty exciting to see. They will play uh, Grenia Vilenia um, in the quarterfinals, who took care of Nîmes. Um, a Neem team that has struggled a bit with injuries, but pretty good to see a Slovenian club um, at that stage still. Um, then on the other side, in the other quarterfinal, we'll have Nexa, who were my hot tip uh, before the season started for the European League. They've made it through to the quarterfinal uh, and they'll play Geoge, who, despite the various injuries, are still going and still dangerous. And then in the last quarterfinal, we have Visa Plotsk, again, a team that we've been very impressed by playing against Kadetten Schaffhausen, who just about squeezed through against Sebehoff on away goals. Yeah. So I think Visa Plotsk have a good opportunity there to make their second consecutive appearance. But looking at that quarterfinal lineup, we only have one German team, which... yeah. Great news. It's a great day for the neutrals. It's a great day for the neutrals. Because if you remember back, like when we talked about, like we were keen on the European League for the whole season. And then it got to the final tournament and we were like, nah, three German teams and Płocka kind of kind of kill the vibes a little bit. Mm. And uh, now eight teams from eight different countries in the quarterfinals is pretty good. Uh, just one thing on that Cadet and Sabahoff game. That was, I was watching that at the same time as Nantes and Berlin. And yeah, that was unfortunate as well. I mean, Sebehoff had a we kind of robbed there at the end uh, with a decision against uh, Skepagoto. He didn't get a penalty or a free throw that he should have gotten. And uh, that caused uh, their downfall in the end. He was brilliant. Seven goals, nine assists. So really uh, stepping up for, for Sebehoff there. Another young talent. And uh, I was going to say before we moved on from the Costa brothers, like the future of Portuguese national team handball is safe in their hands. You're wondering now like if, if they're going to have a bit of a lull, but then you see players like that come through. And uh, I look forward to seeing battles between Portugal and the Faroe Islands in years to come. <laughs> yeah, I think about it a few years ago, I think all <laughs> oh, the best players gonna come, they're going to break out in the next few years are going to be from the Faroe Islands and Portugal. But like, what are you talking about? What, what, what are you smoking? And Sevahoff have signed another young Faroese talent as well, who, as Brian mentioned, he looks... That was exactly the same. <laughs> it's been a really good showcase of young talent at the European League. Some of these, let's say, second-level clubs who really put their faith in their big rising stars like Kiko Costa. We've seen Kostaratov really shine for Visa Plotsk. Emil Matson has been huge for Gay Gay. You know, these are all teenagers, 20, 21-year-olds are really lighting up the competition which has been exciting why is why is, has the european league seemed so much more exciting than the champions league to this point is it purely to do with the the format or 
is there something else going on here? What do you think, Alex? Yeah, I was I was thinking about it, and it is probably natural that the European League, um, the second uh, level competition, would take a step up when the amount of teams in the Champions League was reduced. So that's that's a natural step. <clears throat> the fact that we only have sixteen teams in the Champions League means that we're, we're seeing some of these um, bigger teams from the the bigger leagues competing, um, and to see a game like. Non versus Fixa Berlin, you know, second in France versus third in the Bundesliga at a last 16 stage in the European League. You know, that could easily be a Champions League quarterfinal. I think we're talking about that. Same again with Magdeburg versus Nantes in the quarterfinal. It may well be a quarterfinal in next season's Champions League. <laughs> yeah, easy, easy. So that's the reason why the European League has been able to step up. Champions League is a weird one. And I really, I was quite disappointed with this playoff round uh, that we just saw. With four games, none of them really having too much excitement uh, in the second leg, too much peril. Both of you are sitting in Budapest after being at the Zagat Flensburg game, which you know we all really hoped would be the the exciting game where Zagat could maybe turn around uh, an aggregate score, but that didn't really come to fruition. What did you take away from that game? I don't know. I think we saw kind of a different, generally saw a different Zagat after Christmas. And I don't know if that was some sort of Euro hangover, but when they lost to Zagreb directly after the Euro, I think that was kind of a sign of, this is maybe not the same Zagat that we saw at the start of the season. And we think back to, you know, Zagat finishing third in the group and Flensburg finishing way down on 10 points in Group B. And now it seems to completely have flipped. And Flensburg, even though they were still missing players, seemed to have a lot more power and a lot more about them. And Zegged just kind of seemed to have kind of, especially in defense, kind of just have, I don't know, not to be as fired up as the crowd were in the arena because the crowd were really giving it socks for, for large parts of the game. But then midway through the second and a half, I think they also kind of gave up a little bit. And it's a it's such a shame because we were talking about it yesterday. That arena is like the best handball arena in the world now. And... Somehow the game yesterday didn't live up to it and it kind of fell flat to a certain extent because they got within three goals, what is it, three times? Yeah, we got, yeah, yeah. we're leading by three goals, so we're down down by one. Yeah. Then. Um, but the thing is, we knew very early on they needed to win by five in that mm. match because of the away goals rule. And yeah, I mean, the, the defense was so passive. That was the big takeaway for me. They looked super aggressive right in the first couple of minutes. They were like riding on the wave of the fans' motion. But then they allowed Mads Mensa and Ian Gottfriedson just to, to control the eight, nine meter area, which they can't just can't do. Like they came into contact so many times. And those two players in particular are so good at that. They're going to like, we're going to come in and tease you here. You can either come out and stop us. And then we're going to try and beat you anyway. Or you uh, you let us do it and, and we'll take a shot in, in between the two of them. Um, I think they ended up with what, maybe 15, 14, 15 goals. And uh, that and transition defense was brutal. And it was, even though they got within one goal on aggregate and had a couple of great chances on fast breaks to, to make it a four-goal game and, and draw level, Flensburg always looked kind of in control. They always looked very comfortable and that they dictated the pace of the game. They never looked too flustered. And I think a lot of that is down to Gottfriedson in the, in the center of attack. And yeah, they just never looked too perturbed by the situation, which says a lot about 
the maturity of the Flensburg players. And I suppose one thing is that we are seeing the decline or the transition of the Sega team led by Dejan Bombas. It, it really feels like he's not the all-conquering, all-controlling player mm. he once was. He's still very good. Still <laughs> very good, but it's but it's it's not quite. You no, know. Can I take it back to what you said at the beginning of the season? And this really played into my mind during the second half. You're on my mind there when it was, you said at the beginning of the season, this Sega team looks like Bombach is going to make the moves and set up the two big lads to shoot in the backcourt or find Banhidi on the line. There was no Banhidi on the line. There's still a couple of decent players in Rosta and Gabra, but not the same level. So it was just... Tunison and Garcia and Dia on the right-hand side, Bodo on the left-hand side, sometimes Machkovsiak, and it was just a simple switch move, big boys, go shoot, and Bodo was like, what, uh, three from 10? Three from 11? And he scored three brilliant goals, but <laughs> eight really bad misses. And uh, and it was exactly what you said at the start of the season. So I was, I was really kind of disappointed not to see Martins. I thought Martins' style of play would have fit facing that Flensburg team, particularly when you see the way that um, a bomb match was able to tear through the defense sometimes. If you had Martins coming at speed and moving the way he does, he could have provided a lot more difficulties, uh, even as a left-back. It seems like what you're saying there, saying there basically is that the squad, the Zegat squad, it seems a little bit unbalanced to a certain mm. extent. That yeah, You seem to have a lot of these kind of B players, whether it was Maskovcek, uh, Bodo, uh, Gabber on the line, who are good, good solid players, but they're not going to when you need and when push comes to shove at the really really big games are they the people who are going to really turn it up and in the past I think it was Rasmus put out a point yesterday when when uh, Pixega were at their peak they had players like Chelman Makeda and Kenielas great with great defensive skills who also could contribute offensively and it felt like that Sega were missing these pieces of the puzzle yesterday mm-hmm. they didn't have basically those nut jobs or someone like Kenielas who you know just give the ball he'd probably do something like yeah I think it is a natural transition. You know, most teams have a limited lifetime um, as a squad together. This Sega team has been on the rise for about five, six years now. They have revamped it a little bit. Um, it's still the same core. So um, I think they need to really look um, next year and over the next couple of years to see how they can really change it around. A little bit disappointing. I, I think we all like... Um, Zegat a lot but you know you never count out Flensburg never count out was this playoff round that bad then I mean you have Flensburg who managed to upset Zegat you know Montpellier Porto should have maybe been a better second leg that's I think down to Montpellier being good and Porto just not delivering on the day and then the other two results were actually kind of closer than you'd expect and then you're saying, yeah, we missed out on the first and second place teams in there, but they would have just hammered the teams in seventh and eighth place in the playoffs. So was it is it that bad after all? But would they have hammered? Well, I mean, uh, Brest and Zaporozhye wouldn't be in the competition anyway at this point uh, because of very obvious reasons with the war. And then you have Zagreb. I mean, yeah, yeah, come on. <laughs> Zagreb would have been, Zagreb would have faced... Barca, but that would have been that would have been a a hammering. 
Yeah, I think we can kind of get into it a little bit about the format, uh, because there was also some discussion on Twitter about this and whether this format is, you know, truly leads to excitement. Um, and some of the criticisms are that there are probably too many um, group games um, where the big teams are playing each other, but it, it devalues the those big games. Although I wouldn't, I don't think that was the case this year because we did see such an exciting yeah. um, group uh, battle between especially Kielsa, PSG and Barca. They really had to fight each other and every game seemed really important to get those um, key standings, uh, positions in the standings. And, you know, PSG having lost that battle now face a quarterfinal against Kiel which is very significant. So it does put importance on that um, first round. For me, it just felt, feels yeah, a bit anticlimactic that you, you have these four best teams go through and then you don't seem to play in the next round. But then, but I don't think we'd be watching those games in, in this round. Yeah. yeah I mean, do you, are you really going to watch Alborg against Dinamo Bucharesti? I don't think so. When, when, like, at the same time, you could have, like, basically one of the games we saw uh, today. You've, like, Flensburg versus Seged or Alborg against Dinamo Bucharesti on at the same time. And I know, what you, I know where you're coming from. I understand. Uh, but I, I, I was looking at the, you know, the Twitter discussion you mentioned. And, you know, I, just, I said to Brian at breakfast there. It was like there's a reason why these guys aren't the ones making the decision at the end because it was just a bunch of guys going, I like this, but I like this. Well, I like this. And nobody actually discussing. They're like, I think it should be this way. I think it should be this way. I think it should be this way. But uh, that's why we're here. That's why. (laughs) We're here to add the discussion. At the end of the day, yeah, true. At the end of the day, like the, the big thing about whether you have too much of these big teams facing each other in the group phase. That is what the clubs wanted. That is why the clubs basically decided this format. It wasn't like the HF did it with them to avoid any potential like breakaway because the clubs want to be able, they need to sell tickets. They want to have TV deals. When we were in Barca a few weeks ago, see the group phase game against Vesbrum with a great crowd that wouldn't. That doesn't happen in Barca. That's why they want this. They want to face the big teams week in, week out, if possible, and so that they can build something there. I understand from the fans' perspective that it would be special if, like, you know, they only face each other once every couple of years. But it's not the UEFA for Champions League. Yeah, but I would still add. So you're mentioning the teams that were knocked out, and yes, they're. they're of a lower standard but we just spoke about the high standard in the European League mm-hmm. and I think you could easily have a couple of additional teams in terms of you know another French and another German team in the competition would you know th- that would make those uh, last 16 games more exciting if you have <clears throat> a Nantes or a Magdeburg or a Fix of Berlin in the competition, you, some, you, you get a second team from Poland, which is Visa Fosk, who have been incredible. So that, that beefs up that group stage. You might, ex- again, we're talking about expanding, uh, whatever, mm. but uh, I haven't completely thought through the, the way it, sounds, it will work. It's, it yeah. sounds like the last one, <laughs> the four groups of six teams, the 2014. 
I, I think that I would be closer to that one. Okay. Beef it up a little bit, but beef it up with the top leagues as opposed to the likes of the Turkish league and um, etc. So you, you beef it up at the top as opposed to, you know, spreading it out uh, at the bottom. So that increases. And you're taking away from the European league. But the, then the European <laughs> league gets the, the Turkish teams. <laughs> no! Alex, we have them and they have a chance to qualify and they don't. It's fine to take away from the European League. We want one competition where everything is happening to maximise the... Yeah, but when we get to the quarterfinal stage in both competitions now, they're both going to be fantastic. Yeah, I mean, the big idea behind the European League in the first place was to, to narrow the gap between the Champions League and the EHF Cup. And that's happened, and that's what that's definitely happened. But but is that you know for for us for us and probably a lot of people listening to this podcast? That's great. We we love watching the European League, but for the broader handball fan, if you want to showcase the sport and yeah. expand the sport, how many people are going to watch the second level of yeah, European? Yeah, handball? I, I agree with you there as well because I was sometimes you're watching it going, God, the European League is, is really good. Should it really be this good? And you're watching the Champions League some of the weeks and you're like, like yes, like the last playoff matches yeah. and it's kind of like a lot of dead dead matches and you're like something isn't quite right here with the mix of teams, I think. Yeah, I'm just because got- the worst teams in the Champions League, I think, are some are probably a good bit worse than the best teams in the European League. Do you know? And that's that's not right in a way. And, and just to add to it, it seems like so I mentioned that this playoff round felt a little bit dead in terms of I know just to showcase the fact that there's only four games the best teams are missing and when you're talking about um for the clubs the big you know money makers the big tv deals why not instead of pushing it into the group stage those big games expand the knockout stage and make that you know look at a team like barcelona their reward for you know finishing top or usually they finish top and then they play one big home game in the quarterfinal so they get one opportunity to sell out an arena or you know go for the big ticket game and then it's the final four which is you know a showcase itself so we're really getting this one round in the middle by decreasing the amount of games in the group stage and then i actually like the idea of even a three-legged tie um, for the quarterfinals and um, the last 16. So what you get for finishing top of the group is you get your home advantage. So it means that if you go to a third leg, that will be at home. So you still get that advantage. You That gives an opportunity for these big teams to you know, sell another big game. So you have... You know, it's it's not always going to happen, but you're going to have some pretty amazing kind of sudden death winner takes all games as a third leg in both the the last sixteen and the quarterfinals. So, how amazing would it be to actually have a third game between uh, Zeget and Flensburg? Now, it would make that second leg so much more exciting because all Zeget need is a win. They don't need to turn around a four or five goal advantage that, that that win would probably be enough for them and it, it would change the dynamic so it increase the tension in the second leg even if one game is a demolition which happens in handball you know teams show up other teams don't but it still puts a lot of pressure on a second game and 
we've seen in this competition, the mental teams that have beaten each other. And on the day at home, I think most teams in the competition can pull out a win. Even Zagre, uh, sorry, even Dimo Bucharesti beat Barcelona this year. So you, you have that extra excitement for that second leg and then potentially kind of a big game in the third leg. And by reduce, you know, what it adds is more games for the players. So that is, um, you know, it's a big thing. And mostly this, let's say, last 16 or quarterfinal games are also happening after the European Championship, the World Championship. So that is a lot of strain. But you reduce the amount of games in the group stage to accommodate that. You might get a, you might get more blowouts, though, when teams are losing that first game. They might go, right, we're losing this anyway by seven. Let's just take our foot off the gas here. And then it's not competitive at all for the first game, but we'll save it for the second game. But we're talking about this stuff now. I mean, there's a lot of... I mean, I feel like we're getting into this discussion every season, but do you think there actually will be a change in the next few seasons? If we see... Because the draws now for the Champions League seem almost like... Okay, yeah, the draws... This is, is only the second season, isn't it? No, yeah. But then when we go to the really? third season next year and we see the draw, yeah. and you see Kiel come up against PSG in the group, no one's like, oh, whoa, do you know? So it's lost that shine in that regard. The first season was like, oh, this is incredible, these two groups. But I feel like the shine will go, whether you think it's good or bad... But will there be a change on maybe in the next three, four seasons? Or, you know, what, on or the, what would bring that? On the flip side of that, you'll have like in Germany still the potential of two new teams in the competition, yeah. which if you have an ex- like three three German clubs and that that kind of sheen and novelty goes away, mm. like Magde- potentially Magdeburg and Fuxa in the competition next season. Nantes will be back in, Montpellier will be out. Unless they win the competition, I guess. Um, and you could have a team like Sporting or Benfica or someone in like in Portugal uh, instead. So, and well, chances are there'll be no Meshkov Brest. There'll be hopefully there'll be a motor Zaporozhye. I don't. It doesn't look very good in that sense, but there'll be a couple of other spots as well. Yeah, look, I mean, so it is technically the third season of the competition. The first one was cut short because of COVID, went straight to a Final Four. The second one, all the teams played in the playoff because of COVID. This is the first season where they've actually had a chance to try out this format. So so maybe they'll give it a bit more time before deciding what to do. But um, at least as far as I, my, from what I've heard uh, in the past is like, it is kind of a fluid thing. And they, they do, of course, have to listen to the clubs and the clubs are are almost the most important thing in this sense because it has to be worthwhile for them. So this at the moment is, was kind of the, the solution that worked for them. Uh, and maybe, yeah, maybe they will get bored of playing each other. To the old system, then you have empty halls and then it's just like for, for a lot of games and then that's the negative aspect of that as well when you've like... Potentially. I, I still think there's enough clubs to... enough top clubs uh, to be fit out in, in a good way without getting the likes of... Besiktas in. I think we all remember those Besiktas <laughs> games and everyone wants to avoid that. Um, yeah. But th- there is enough good teams in Europe to avoid that if it's done in a smart way. Um, and then you can use the European League for that development of, of handball. So one, just one word answer for both of you, right? Should, mm-hmm. should they abandon the wildcard system? You mean the additional place? The additional place system. Uh, <laughs> Um, no, I, w- I, w- I would like qualifiers as well, mm. but if it's then a qualifier between Nantes, um, AEK Athens, Besiktas, 
and Nexa, who's going to qualify from that? Yeah, not Nexa. Nexa. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I think that's enough. I, let's let's look at the. Shall we? Let's look at the quarterfinals quickly. We will go into the more before the actual quarterfinals. I don't think we have to, and I have to get a flight soon. Um, but maybe a quick, quick predictions then, or quick, quick opening thoughts, opening statements in those quarterfinals. I think, in general, the uh, we talked about, first, right? yeah. In general, we've we've talked about how uh, it, it it hasn't been that exciting so far. But the quarterfinals like look. Yeah. <laughs> epic. They look, but the look, yeah. they do look yeah. epic. You have Veshram versus Albor, huge game. Montpellier, Kielsa, we've seen Montpellier turn up in this competition. Flansburg, Barcelona, again, a huge game. And PSG versus Kiel, which um, is as exciting as you want. Um, and I don't think there's probably one clear game for me in this. And I think it is Kielsa to beat. Montpellier. French teams are Kielce's kryptonite in knockout handball. Look back over the years. Nantes, Montpellier. Nantes, not PSG. For some reason, they seem to deal with that better. But when they're the favourites against either Nantes or Montpellier, they they shit the bed. If I were to, to guess now, I'd say probably Paris versus Kiel is probably the game that, well, according also to the live blog, where they put on a, a bit of a vote, and it won the vote for the people for the game that people are most excited to see. Mm. So I think I probably think that's probably going to be the first match of the week. Um, and but like I was talking in Vestram because I was there the day before yesterday, and uh, I was talking to just people who are working for the club, and I said, "So how do you feel about playing against Alborg?" And they're like, "To be honest, not good at all." Mm. So, you know, so like the feeling in Vestram is maybe they're not really exactly brimming with confidence. And before the start of the season, it was the first season in living memory that a lot of the staff members said in the club that it was explicitly said that this season our goal isn't our main goal isn't really to go to the final four no. so that means that Vesprem are going to win the final four <laughs> because we know that that, that connection yes. with we don't when you normally want to be there and yeah. you, you make it and you're like well we're only here because like you know we're just making yeah. up a spot that means you're going to win the Champions League so congratulations yeah. to Vesprem on winning the Champions League but Alex sorry you were saying <laughs> you were saying Kielce versus Montpellier is a clear one for you yeah, and then we got in your way. So what we? <laughs> no, no, this is good. I think on, on other games are all uh, a toss up. You think Flensburg have a chance against Barca? Yeah, they have Jim Confreyson. Yeah, so they have a chance against anyone. And then PSG have the most informed player in the world right now. That is Kamil Shipchak, who is averaging eight point eight goals over his last five games at a percentage of eighty two percent. And he is, to my knowledge, the only line player taking seven-meter penalties in a top European handball. And he's absolutely have, smashing it. 15 from 16 in those games. I just have to say, the match of the week last week, he takes the first one against Elverum and he and it's saved. Yeah. So we won't be seeing him again. <laughs> And then he scores 12 goals in that game. We seeing him in the penalty line again. And I was like, oh, there he is again. He scored, he scored, he scored. Have you been practicing your penalties, Alex, now in uh, with a view towards being the next Camel Shipshack? I, I have to start now. I, I never thought it was possible. I, I never thought that uh, teams would allow a line player to... Yeah, this, I said there's this line players all around the world going, oh, wait a second, I can take penalties? They've never taken penalties in their life. Yeah. 
this is illegal. Well, we remember that one of the most famous penalties of all time, winning the Champions League yeah. for Kielce, was Yulina Galda. Mm. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> what about you, Brian? What's your so what are you what are you saying here, Alex? First, before we uh, we move away from you here, the the four team four team four teams you would go for just like just four names, no reasons why. PSG, Albor, Barca, Kielce. Oh, I mean, there's going to be some shocks, and I think probably one of the shocks would be probably either Barca or PSG will make it. But I'll probably go for Kielce, Barca. I go for Kiel. Trust Banner in the works, mm. and. And then I go for, you know, probably Alborg as well, actually, yeah. It's tasty. I mean, if these games aren't good, just, I'm, I'm just giving up. Just said is going to win the Champions League. <laughs> no, because I have to go against them now, and then they'll yeah. win it, like, you know. Yeah, now these games should be great. Uh, how about the how about the European League? Is there some four, four quarterfinals as well, which are pretty tasty? Magdeburg <laughs> against Nantes. That's, that's such a tough one. I th- like Nantes against. I don't think we talk gave gave enough not enough credit here against Foxa. They were phenomenal. Mm. Like to win that game away from home, like they did by three goals, was really really impressive. Mm. And you mentioned it there before, Brian on a on our WhatsApp group. It was like just have that little bit more Champions League about them. Mm. You know, that got them over the line. Will it be the same this time? So, if they, these four teams are these four. Games: Schaffhausen, Płock. I'll say Płock. Nexa, Georgi. I'll say Georgi. Nantes, Magdeburg. Magdeburg will win the league, so Nantes. I'm gonna go against my beloved Magdeburg here. Uh, and Benfica against Garenia. That should be Benfica. Yeah, funnily enough, I think these games might actually be worse than the last round. Yeah, yeah looking at it, it's, it's actually it's the flip side where we have probably three clear games. Which means they won't be clear at all. I don't know. I don't think Cadetna are going to do a whole lot. And I can't imagine. I think Gogger is going to be way too strong for next to... And Nantes versus Magdeburg, I think, could be a very, very similar game almost to the mm. to the Fuxa game. Um, but I think Magdeburg might have a little bit more in them. So that, that, that could just go all the way, like... Um, but I think probably just those those young guns that that Nantes have are just really impressive. So I'll go for Nantes and then Benfica. I think should plus five over uh, Valenia. They should do, but Valenia I thought were out of the out of it altogether. And then how they managed to to beat Nîmes, even though they had their injuries, was very impressive. Mm. I think so. Ah, uh, yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, it's the European League after all. I wouldn't uh, rule them out. Alex is on his way to Vegas now. Yeah, well, don't do anything we wouldn't. Thank you. <laughs> That's like saying, I'm not going to listen to that advice. <laughs> it's like when your mother says to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll take it away and uh, mull it over. Because now Alex is heading off and we have to get a flight in a moment. So we'll uh, take a quick look at the women's competitions before we... We head off. So we're starting the Women's European League. We have the finals now. Quarterfinals are over. And we have the semi-final pairings. EHF finals in the women's competition is going to be in Viborg. And the semi-final pairings are Viborg against Bayamare. And Herning Ecast 
against Biedekheim from Germany. So what do you reckon? Would you say Viborg are probably the favourites for the title? At home as well, yeah, mm. I think so. They've been brilliant. By Mara are the outsiders, big type. For me, it's a, it looks like the big one is, is E-Cast against, uh, earning E-Cast against Biedekheim. They've both been brilliant mm. this season. So that's a hard one to call. Uh, so basically the winner of that against Viborg in the final should be the, the way that one concludes. But uh, yeah, nice two Danish teams. Viborg mm-hmm. playing at home. That should be it. like I think Denmark is a great place for a women's European League final weekend. Yeah, and in the women's Champions League, our beloved FTC in Budapest couldn't pull it off against Krim, so they're out. Another another year bites the dust for FTC. So Krim up against Vipers, CSM Bucharesti against Team Esbjerg, Brest against Jur. And Mets are through to the final four. They don't have to play against Rostov Don. So three quarterfinals there. I think all of a sudden Krim have become super dangerous with Anna Gross yeah. in the mix. So that so I think Vipers are going to be looking at that going, God, this is this is awful. Because now what we signed up no, for. No, no. Because beforehand they were thinking we probably have a pretty easy route to the final yeah. four. And now all of a sudden, God, you might even say that Krim are slight favourites, maybe. maybe. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, with that boost of a player like that coming in, play might just you're in a, you're in a team struggling for form. And then you go, oh, we're just going to give you this player who almost scores 10 goals every game. Here she is. Yeah. All right. There you go. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's that's a really hard game to call. Mm-hmm. Like, I probably fancy Krim, to be honest, um, with the wind in their sails. And then CSM versus Esberg. I think it's probably tricky to say, but I mean, you'd have to go for Esberg. I think, yeah, probably. They've, been the, they've been the informed team yeah. uh, this season alongside your breast. Looking pretty good. I did say at the start of the season, if anyone's going to beat Gear this season, it's probably going to be Brest. Yeah. I'm not sure I feel as strongly about that anymore. No. But uh, this is a great test. This is a great test of it. <laughs> over two legs. Yeah. I'm kind of doubting my own uh, predictions here, but I think Gear probably mm. will probably do it. So you're looking at a a Mets Gear Krim Esberg final four. That's tasty, isn't it? Something different. Yeah. Either way, however, CSM Esberg goes and Krim Vipers go. It should be a. Nice It'd be good either way. Yeah. 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 All right. I think we wrap it up there. I'll go catch a flight back home. You take the train back home. Yep. And uh, thank you to Alex, who's now on his way to <laughs> to earn his fortune in Las Vegas. It's good to sit with you again, finally. Yes. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you, everyone. Talk to you soon.